Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we are live. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Insight Live. Today, we are going to talk about the one and only Gary Vaynerchuk, also known as Gary V, for those who can't pronounce Vaynerchuk. And what I will say is, I think if I had to guess who has made a bigger impact or who has made the biggest impact on the largest number of people who are creating content today on social media and otherwise, it would be Gary. And you just called me before this and we were talking about a, I don't know, some sort of event he put on, a live event where he had essentially a unknown surprise for people who bought a certain number of books. Fill us in on what that's all about and then we'll dive into the Gary Vee effect, what he does so well to influence so many people. Absolutely, brother. And I think a good way of starting this conversation, to your point, is the impact he's made on so many people. And I, for one, am one of those people. You know, out of every single person I followed in my life, Gary Vee is actually in my top three. My top three being Scott Harrison, Seth Godin, and Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm not going to tell Lewis that you took him out of the top three, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're actually correct. I actually feel bad for Lewis now. I'm sorry, Seth. Seth Lewis uh, probably takes that top three spot there. But (laughs) yes, Seth Godin is a close fourth. Fair enough. But it seems like you know this story better than I do. It's almost hilarious. But anyway, <laughs> you always be like, hey, Brendan, you're not thinking in the right way. You actually got to think. I'm like, you're right. Billy's correct. Anyways, okay, let's get to this. So Gary Vee is definitely one of those people who inspired me to start creating content for the first time. Like I didn't want to create content. I was an executive at a company. Actually, not, not exec- a future executive, unlike you, who was an actual executive. And I didn't want to create content. Gary Vee is the one who pushed me. And recently, he had this event, literally like six hours ago, as of this recording, where he did something very unique. And that's another thing we'll talk about Gary in this episode, is he's always new to trends. He's always at the cutting edge, and he's always the first person to try something new. And one thing he started a few months ago is this initiative called V Friends. 
So VFriends is what we call an NFT project. And NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. I won't get too crazy about what this is. But basically, what essentially what it is, is if you buy one of these tokens, you get access to VCon. And VCon is a conference, a super conference, as he calls it, that Gary V is starting to host next year, which he's never done before. Super fascinating to me. And I never knew about VFriends until maybe a month after it came out. And by then, all the tokens were sold out. And if you want to buy a VFriend token, now it's like ridiculously expensive. I don't know the exact prices. So Gary Vee has been, been promoting this live the whole week. And he's been saying, hey, this live is super important. You want to attend it. It's at Friday at 5 p.m. And I, didn't, I totally forgot about the live. And then I just went on Gary Vee's feed just a few hours ago. And I noticed there was like a three-hour live. So I just click it. And the, the live starts with, okay, everyone. This is the first time I'm jabbing hard. He calls it the right hook. He always mm-hmm. gives and then takes. And he's like, this time, we're going to do the opposite. I'm going to try something new, something unique. And I'm like, this is interesting. I've never seen Gary V see this before. So I start listening to this. And the live finished like three hours ago. So I was just watching from the recording. And he literally goes, if you buy 12 copies of my new book that's coming out in November, I will give you a surprise that I'm not allowed to talk about. And... The offer is only open for 24 hours. So this literally ends tomorrow at 5. So every 12 books that you buy, you get this. I feel like I'm doing free promotion for him now. But anyways, I kind of like the guy. (laughs) Well, you are. You get like this free surprise. So obviously I'm listening to this and I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm buying 12 books. There's no way in hell I'm 12. (laughs) And then I keep listening and, like, and I'm five minutes into this live stream, 10 minutes into this live stream. And he's literally like, do you know how much money people made from VFriends? Do you not trust me, people? And he's like, his sales and marketing skills are like, brilliant, brilliant. And he's like, if you don't buy these books, you're going to regret it. I'm telling you, my reputation is on the line. He's like, literally, I'm like, man, I've never seen anyone sell this hard before. Gary Vista, I've never seen him. And I've been following this guy for a decade. So after, at like minute 13, Billy, I kind of look at the screen and I just go... Would I regret this? if? Because it, it literally ends tomorrow. Like, it's over. Tomorrow after five, you can't do this anymore. And I looked at the price on Amazon.ca. I just looked it up. And I put in 12 books in the card. And it said $430 Canadian. I was like, oh, that's kind of... It's not like a lot of money, but it's like... You feel that a bit. You can buy a lot of ramen with that, right? <laughs> Everything's equated back to a ramen scale. Okay. So I was like, ah, it's okay. I'll buy one. And then he said... You know, there's a reason why I did this post now at Friday at 5 p.m. Well, everyone has, is at the fucking pool, as he says. I have to use his words. Or else it does. The people were on this live stream. You're the hustlers. That's why I'm opening up to you. That's why I chose the time. And then after like minute 50, I was like, you know what? F it. I'm going to regret this if I don't buy it. Plus, he's delivered. Like, it's not even about the surprise. Actually, it is because I selfishly want that. But the other piece as well is... Gary Vee has delivered literally thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars back to my life. And up until that point, this is what you'll find interesting, Billy. The total amount of money that I've invested in anything Gary Vee was exactly $36 when I bought Crushing It. I just bought one copy, never read it, just to support him. That's all I did. I've been following Gary Vee for like five years. I've only given him $36 up until three hours ago, where I invested like four or $500 into his 12 books that I'm going to probably send you as a gift and send a couple, 10 other people because what the hell am I going to do with 12 books? But the point I want to drive is the Gary V effect is interesting because not only is he a marketing genius, he's also a sales genius. 
He's able to leverage the 10 years of brand that he's built up where people will literally do anything. You think I'm crazy for buying 12 books? I think I'm nuts. I saw people in the chat who bought 480 copies of the book. Wow. And he literally puts them up on – he puts the comment in. He goes, see, people are thinking (laughs) – he goes, people are thinking – Finally, you're understanding. You think I'm making royalties off of this? It doesn't even matter. I have a hundred billion. Like, it's super fascinating. But yeah, I love Gary Vee and I caved. Wow. Well, you know, look, you never know. It might end up being an investment that you look back and say, I'm so glad that I did. Then again, you might look back and say, I wish I hadn't. So well, time will tell. But let's talk a little bit more about his brilliance because he is brilliant as a marketer. He is brilliant as a salesperson. And he's a brilliant business person. So clearly he's had a ton of success ever since his wine business, which he basically took over from his father, as far as I understand. Let's go back in time and talk about the beginning days. And then let's break down each of the core traits that he has that make him stand out, that make him as successful as he is, that make him have the effect that he has on other people. Because again, and I'll say this probably five times, there's no one who has a bigger number of people that he's influenced. I literally can't think of anyone. So go back in time. What do you know about his early story? Absolutely. And you're absolutely right on that point. I don't think second place even comes remotely close to the impact that Gary Vaynerchuk has made in the world. So it's pretty nuts when you think about it. But yeah, dude, absolutely. So Gary V's start story starts in Belarus, Russia, right? He grew up in the Soviet Union, not a lot of money, under the regime. And then he got really lucky in life because the Berlin Wall fell down. And don't quote me on the year, I'm not a historian. But when the Berlin Wall fell down, things got challenging. Things got easier. And capitalism started to ensue Russia. And it gave an opportunity for people to leave the country. So his parents left Soviet Union Russia and then went to the States. And then he, I think he immigrated when he was like four or six years old to America. That's where his life started. He grew up in New Jersey, small apartment with you know his, his two siblings, mom, dad, and they were hustlers, right? His dad owned a liquor store business at wine shop, and he was doing two, three million dollars a year. And what was interesting about Gary V's story is as he was getting older, when he was you know six, eight years old, one thing I'll, that I'll give him credit for that even I'm surprised he was able to achieve, I think this is one of the most remarkable things about him, is he learned to be very self-aware very early in life. So last episode of Insight Live, we talked about this idea of finding yourself. Like, how do you figure out who you are and question society so much so? Not just in the context of thought leadership anymore now, but in the context of just being a human being. So he realized very young when he was getting D's and F's in school, that school wasn't for him. He was like, this is not something I want to be doing. I don't understand why grades are so important. And he had that self-awareness as an eight-year-old, which is pretty crazy. And what he did instead, what he really loved, is he loved selling lemonade and lemonade stands. He loved pulling flowers out of people's lawns and then ring on the doorbell and selling them the flowers back. It was like nuts. And then other things he did is he flipped baseball cards. That's what he's famous for. He like flipped a bunch of cards, like playing cards. And he made like thousands of dollars a week. It's pretty nuts. Like I heard the number was like thousand to 2000. And of course, let's not forget the garage sailing. So the really big piece behind Gary is he was a purebred entrepreneur. He always loved flipping stuff, 
get making a profit off of it. But the other piece that's super interesting about Gary in the context of that game that he was playing from like the ages of eight to like 13, as he was growing up in very underprivileged communities, mostly with my visible minorities. So a lot of his friends growing up were like black and Hispanic and different. This is super fascinating. But the craziest thing about Gary is that was his passion. So it's the same way other people's that in football, pretty much. We can get into that a bit later. American football for your foreigners who are watching this. But the, the key is what really staples his childhood, in my opinion, is really this idea of being self-aware at such a dangerously young age and him shifting focus and finding – he's an example of someone who found his thing at like the age of nine, which is very scary when you think about that. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, some people start really young. I know – I sold, you know, lollipops in, in junior high, you know, for like a quarter. And it's just, you know, you buy something and you pay five cents for it and then you sell it for a quarter, you make a little profit. And then there's other people who don't do those sorts of things and they prefer to work for somebody else. And so clearly he had the trajectory early on to be an entrepreneur. And then as things evolve, obviously he, he gets an opportunity to learn the family business and learn about not only wine, but also how to run the company, which as that happens, I know that a big part of his early days on social media was on YouTube. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So as Vaynerchuk starts to get older and older, his parents kind of give up on him going on the idea of him going to school. And he wanted to join the family business. And he mostly did it to give back to his father because his dad did so much for him. And that's just immigrant mentality. I totally relate to that as well, like retiring my mom, stuff like that. So when he jumped into the wine business at a very young age, that's pretty much all he did for his 20s, that and watching the New York Jets. And and the other piece around the Jets that's super interesting, because for those who don't know, his goal now, his ultimate goal is to buy the New York Jets and to make them win a Super Bowl, which we all know is impossible. But never bet against Gary. I think that's a, a big lesson from today's episode. But the key is <laughs> the reason he's so fond of the Jets, not a lot of people know this, when he was seven, eight years old, his mom stitched him. She stitched him a New York Jets jersey because they couldn't afford a jersey. And it's his most prized possession. It's like a little mini jersey that he wore as a six-year-old. So he has a lot of emotional attachment to the Jets. And also it was introduction to American culture. So when he didn't know how to speak English, a lot of the kids around him were like, hey, you want to play football? And he was like, gaku, gaku, as, as he says. And he would just play football. And that's how he gave. In the same way, you kind of have that emotional appeal with baseball. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. Same thing with me. Like, I'm a huge UFC fan. But ever since, like, last year, I've started watching UFC a lot. But I understand why I'm such a big fight fan, because I did martial arts for five years. But I never watched fights competitively until last year. So we all have those emotional attachment things, right? Always appreciate you, Jamal. Thanks for being here, and Jamal as well. But the idea is that it's that emotional appeal that really got him fond of the Jets. So that's where he spent 10% of his time in his 20s. The other 90% of his time was spent building the family business. So he grew his dad's company from three to $60 million in revenue. And most of that growth was due to social media and the internet. So in the early days, in the late 1990s, he had an idea of shipping wine online and bringing this delivery. And he was like one of the first online e-commerce websites at the time. It was huge, winelibrary.com. But the other piece as well is he was super early on email 
So back then, email was cool. Open rates like 90% plus. So he sold a lot through that. And he was super early to Google AdWords as well in like 2003 when Google AdWords were dirt cheap. So he pretty much took over the internet. Let me stop you real quick. I want everybody to listen to the theme you're hearing. He was very early. He was very early. He was very early. So just a theme to think about, reoccurring theme in Gary's life is that he's been early to so many things. Carry on. Absolutely. And let's double down on that. One of my good friends, Sabo, he calls this the difference between the pilgrimers and the pioneers. So the pioneers are generally the ones who take the most risk. But if the risk pays off, they reap all the rewards. The pilgrimers don't take any risk, but whatever they go after, they only take what's left. Mm -hmm. And what Sabo argues, and I think Gary is such a great example of this, I just want to give credit where it's due, always try and be a pioneer in your industry whenever you can. Because even if you're a pioneer just once and you're right, you could make all of your money just on that one trend, that one bet. And what's fascinating about Gary's career, and it's almost scary if you think about it, not many people understand this, is he's been right a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Too many times that it's like crazy. He was right on a bunch of stuff that we can make a full list. It's The list is too long, but he's been right about a lot of things. He's really good at analyzing culture and people. But going back to the story, as he's building up the business, he realizes in 2007, 8, 9-ish, when he exits Wine Library to start his own thing, and people need to understand this as well, his dad didn't give him a penny when he left the business. He literally started Wayner with nothing in like an office room. And in that part of the journey, he realized that the next trend... He realized he was good at spotting trends. That's another thing, right? Back to self-awareness when he was a kid, eight-year-old kid. So that applied very well in his life. That's really the key to success. If I had to point one finger, it's self-awareness. And he realized that building a media agency around social media was going to be big because a lot of the other agencies weren't thinking about that. And a lot of the Fortune 500s weren't leveraging it either. So despite how crazy Gary Vee was, capitalism is capitalism, right? If you get people results, people don't care how crazy you are. They just want to keep recommending your services. So he met this guy named uh, Pat, Matt Higgins, who was the head of RSC Ventures. He used to be an executive for the New York Jets. And Matt was, was also a guest shark on Shark Tank. And Matt's the one who fronted a lot of the capital after he started VaynerMedia. And let's just say Matt made a lot of money from that. But the other piece that's important to Gary Vee's story is once he realized social media was the next thing, he never really wanted to be the personal brand himself. But since nobody else wanted to do at the level he wanted to, he just jumped in himself. And then he, he started doing wine library TV in the early 2000s with his wine business. And then after he just started to become his personal brand, Twitter's really what made him. He got really big on Twitter, really big on YouTube. And then the rest was history. He started growing a bunch of socials. And then after, as his business scaled, he did something that was very unique in the industry at the time, which was he started scaling up his personal media team. So now he's spending millions of dollars of where people are literally on Team Gary V, where they literally just follow him all the time. They create content, the strategies just around him as a personal brand. And he was one of the pioneers who did that, where he, where he started essentially with the, the now famous D-Rock, who runs around and films him all day, every day. Yeah, so let's go back to the YouTube and Twitter days, because I think a lot of people probably recognize if they were active on Twitter, they recognize him there. If they were active on YouTube, you say Twitter was what made him. In my mind, it feels like YouTube, but you, tell me why you think Twitter over YouTube. What was he more active on first? Yeah, it was, it was definitely Twitter. Let me explain what happened. So he was early on YouTube. He was winning on YouTube. But then he made a big mistake because he took an equity stake in another video company and he dropped YouTube. 
it doesn't make sense, right, Billy? Like, if he had stayed consistent on YouTube since 2005, three million, he has 3 million subs. He'd have way more than 3 million subs, right? It wouldn't make sense. What was it, Vine? What was it? It wasn't uh, Vine. He was on Vine, but I think it's called, I have to check. I forgot what it was called. Basically, he took company. I don't remember the name and I can't find it, but basically, it was just another video and it failed. Like, it screwed up and it didn't work out. So he went to YouTube after that missed. Because he took an equity stake in that video company to stay there. But meanwhile, he was super active in Twitter. So Twitter, he was dominant even in the wine days. It wasn't Vimeo, Adam, but thanks for thanks for the contribution. It's not alive anymore. But basically, what happened was Gary Vee was super active in Twitter even in the early days of the wine business. Because every time people tweeted about wine, he wanted to make sure he was in every one of those conversations. And that's actually how he built his business. He pretty, he pretty much built his online wine business off of three things, primarily email, email, Google AdWords, and Twitter. Those were basically the three sources of revenue where he would just reply to a bunch of stuff. And that's how he grew. He was on Twitter like 12, 14 hours a day. Like people don't understand this. Like it was nuts. Absolutely nuts. He'd literally reply until like 3 a.m. in the morning. And he only stopped replying to people like in 2011, 12, when it just got too much. And then everything went crazy after that for him. But yeah, that's what happened. And that's what's really interesting because I, I remember, I don't know where I heard that something of the very similar to what you've described, the amount of volume of time he spent on Twitter. And I can't remember where I heard it, but it completely validates what you said. And that like, that's putting in the dues, that's putting in the time. And I think a lot of people, they look at the glory and they look at the, just the, how cool it is to be an influencer. And, and it seems so glossy and shiny and beautiful and easy. But what you don't see is the underbelly. What you don't see is that you're just in front of a computer for 10, 12 hours. I mean, I know for you, for LinkedIn, for example. So in 2020, I spent easily, easily on average six six hours a day, if not more on LinkedIn. And yeah, I mean, I got millions of views as a result, but I had to put in the work. I had to put in the time. It's like a full-time job. So clearly he put in the time. So, okay. So there's some themes, all right? Theme number one, is that he absolutely knows how to time things. He has timing. Theme number two, self-awareness, having self-awareness of yourself. And I want to go into that a little bit deeper. Well, of course, anybody that's going to fail, that you got to learn from your failures. So I'm sure he learned from his failures, which I know will be a, a theme, a reoccurring theme that we have throughout. And then just the sheer volume of work, the, the sweat equity, the, that is a theme as well. So carry on with the story. And I think it's worth mentioning, right? Because people can relate to us more than Gary Vee. I mean, everyone who's listening, we put in the time too when we were on Clubhouse. Like our 20,000 <laughs> didn't just appear. No joke. And, and just so people understand this who aren't familiar with the app, even if Clubhouse is pretty much going to be dead in a few months, in my opinion, 20,000 followers on Clubhouse puts you in the top 3,000 users on the platform at the very minimum. It's probably better than 3,000, but it's around 3,000. That's insane because there's like millions of accounts. But that wasn't free either. Like me and Billy put in the time. That was like 10 hours easily a day. Like forget like your family. That doesn't happen on Clubhouse. It's literally sometimes Billy would stay up until like 9 a.m. in the morning. And I just couldn't because I had a meeting. If I didn't have the meeting, though, I would have stayed with them. Like, <laughs> it was 9 a.m. your time. It was 6 a.m. my time. Not that that makes it that much yeah, better. It did, but, it, yeah, it was kind of And nice. we have the iPhone tracks it, right? So we know how much time we were spending on the app, and it's obscene. It was well worth how it, much time. Well worth it, because now we're super well connected on LinkedIn. and life. I mean, you were already super well connected. I guess it was more beneficial for me than you. But the key is, you got to put in the time. 
you want to be at the top, right? You got to put in the time. So he put in the time on Twitter. He made a bet on it. He gambled with another video platform. And, and Adam, thank you for that. But I, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't Vimeo. I just looked it up and I couldn't find it. I know what you're talking about. I kept on wanting to say Vine, but it's not that. But he, he took a gamble. And that's what happens when you're first on anything. It's a gamble because you don't know. It's always an unknown. So I know he was very bullish on TikTok, even before TikTok blew up to the point that he did. So most of the time when he's gambled, he's been right. Correct. And then there's a few cases where he's been wrong. Where else has he been wrong before we go deeper on those other pieces? Vidler. Was it Vidler? It was Vidler. 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 That's it. Awesome. You know, it's funny, Bill. I was just looking in the background on the YouTube channel. I was about to find it. But yes, I'm glad Adam jumped in there. So yes, there's a bunch of other places he's failed. Absolutely. Mostly in the investment space. That's what he's mostly public about. In terms of social, he wasn't wrong that many times, to be honest. His accuracy rate has been pretty high, or he doesn't talk about those failures too much because they're small and they're useless. So Vidler was a big one. Like that was a big F on him. Fifth page of Google. I love the hustle. <laughs> I know. I, that, I was on page one and I'm like, yeah, it's nowhere here. Okay. I yeah. You got to put in the word. I love it. That's amazing. He's, he's pushed it down. He must have a, a reputation defender. <laughs> no, no, no. He's open about Vidler. It's just, oh, it's yeah, just I'm in kidding, his uh, YouTube. Yeah. No worries. It's all That's good. the point. He's done so many other things really, really well. And all of those are going to take priority in terms of visibility and what people talk about. But yeah, okay, so where else, what are some investments where he where he made a, a, a wrong decision? Let's not lose focus on what you just said, though, because I think that's super important is definitely a huge theme to Gary Vee that we have to talk about is this idea that Gary Vee and a lot of successful people understand that people only remember your home runs. Like, notice how, like, I've studied mm. Gary Vee like crazy, Billy. The only thing I haven't done with Gary Vee is I haven't read his books. I'm just not a good reader, but, like, forget it. I, you read Crush It, but you didn't read Crushing It. I didn't even read Crush It. I, didn't even, I thought you did. No, okay. no, I haven't okay. even read Crush It. I own one of his books, but I'm a huge, like, Gary Vee connoisseur, though. Like, I watched an hour, like, a 30-minute interview a few days ago. Like, I'm always watching Gary Vee all the time. I'm always immersed in his world, and I definitely understand him more than... 95 to 99% of his audience. That's for sure. At least from a strategic point of view. That's how much I've studied the guy. But even I couldn't remember his loss. And that's what Gary Vee's a pinnacle for us to understand is nobody remembers your else. You could lose as mm -hmm. much as you want, but the second you get a home run, everyone remembers your home run. There's a good analogy here that I think is important to mention because we haven't talked about on the podcast and you just reminded me of it. Scooter Braun. Do you know who Scooter Braun is, uh, Billy? Did I ever talk to you about Scooter? You have, and I'm trying to remember where this is. I feel like, is this like from a movie? I feel like. No, <laughs> you know I'm not good at movies, but Scooter is, no, it's cool. Good. Sco is, Scooter is not is meant to be remembered, right? That's the point. But for those who don't know, Scooter Braun is Justin Bieber's talent manager. He's okay. the reason, basically, why Justin, and we could have a whole episode on Scooter, but a side note for next time. Super yeah, fascinating. Yeah, Justin Bieber's our next episode. For those who want to hang out, <laughs> tomorrow night, we're going to do the Bieb. No. We're going to do the Bieb. That's, and that's Brendan's hero, in case you didn't know. He's a Bieber head. I'm a huge Bieber head. But the point is, and Scooter Braun talks about this too, he's talked about this at Lewis's Mastermind, and Lewis Houses. And basically what he argued is entrepreneurship and taking risk is kind of like baseball where people are constantly pitching a ball at you and you're swinging. And what most people, and with people watching, so people are in the stands. So what most people do when you're swinging and you're missing, everyone's booing you, boo, Billy, you keep missing the bat, brother. Why aren't you going to hit the ball? And then pe most people are going to try five, ten times. Yeah. And then they're going to say, you know what? I'm just going to go get some ramen, throw the bat. They're going to go eat some hot dogs or something, and they're done. 
And there's some people <laughs> who are going to yep. try 20 to 25 times, maybe even 50 times. They'll keep swinging. And then they'll be like, you know what? Those hot dogs smell really good. Scooter doesn't talk about the hot dog. I'm just putting a little Brendan spit on it, but the rest is pretty Scooter broad. And then there's some people who will swing at that thing a hundred times and they still won't get it. And then they'll give up. But then there's people who will just swing and swing and swing. And you remember, everyone's mm. still watching you, Billy. You're at that baseball game and everyone's just like, this Billy guy's out of his mind. Why is he still swinging? It's been like a hundred times. This guy's stupid. Let's get out of here. And they start walking away. But he keeps swinging. You keep swinging. Until years of swinging later, you hit the home run. And the second you hit the home run, everyone cheers. And everyone's cheering for you. And everyone forgot all the bats that you missed. And what Scooter Braun says is entrepreneurship is a lot like that. Where you just have to keep swinging and swinging. And the second you hit a home run, everyone only remembers that home run. And I think Gary Vee is such a great example of that too. I love the analogy. Obviously, I'm a baseball guy, so it's especially and I'm not. <laughs> something that I appreciate. But I think anybody listening right now or watching, you got to recognize the value. It's because it's tenacity. It's grit. It's, it's sticking to something for the long term. And you, you say this all the time, thinking decades, not days. And so if we're thinking in decades, not days, then we're never, ever going to get down if we have an off day. And, and actually, speaking of Gary Vee, one of the things that he says is we, you should focus on the yearly, not the daily. We get so wrapped up in achievement and feeling like we accomplished something and checking the box on our checklist and, oh, today I didn't get as much done and I just feel like I didn't accomplish as much. And like, it's deflating. And it's psychologically, it weighs on you. And it puts you in a position to where you're down on yourself. And the reason why Tiger Woods is as good as a golfer as he is, is because he doesn't let his bash, his last shot affect his next shot. And in the same way that we got to be thinking about everything we do on a daily basis from a perspective of it's all part of a macro plan, long-term vision. And if some days aren't as productive as others, it's no big deal because you're going to have some days that are way more productive than the days where you're not productive and it'll balance out. But if you look at the big picture, it's, it's taking steps forward. Every day is a step forward. And, and even if some days are maybe feel like a sideways step or even a slightly back step, if you show up the next day, you're going to keep moving forward. And that is the difference. When I interview, you know, the first hundred people that I interviewed on my podcast, if there's one theme that stands out more than any other, it's grit. The people who are successful, they stick to what they're doing. They don't give up. They don't allow themselves to get pushed down by temporary defeats or even perceived failures. They keep going. They keep moving day in, day out, and they do not stop no matter what. Now, they may pivot in their approach. They may try different things. They may do things to give themselves a new strategy, but that's normal but they keep trying new things. They keep Absolutely, having that brother. bats. Great point. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think it's super important, especially in the context of B, especially as an entrepreneur. That's what makes Gary V so dangerous. And there's a great quote as well by Jeremy Coward, who says, the more you execute, the more you fail. The more you fail, the more you don't care. The more you don't care, the more you execute. And that's the key to the game 
is Gary V has made so many mistakes in his life that he becomes desensitized. He becomes numb to all the mistakes. So he just doesn't mm. care anymore. That means he just executes pure and solid. I mean, now he has like 14 different entities in VaynerX, which is his global entity company. I'm sure two of those things are struggling right now, but he doesn't care because his point of view is like you're juggling 14 balls and if two of them fall, but the other 12 are still in the air, I mean, you're still doing pretty well, right? And that's always been his perspective on things. But then going forward now, you know, adding in the numbers, adding in the reps, the self-awareness, from 2009 all the way up to today, this is really where we see the rise of the Gary V personal brand, right? Where he gets really active on Twitter, he blows up on Twitter, and then he uses the leverage across all of his socials. That's the first thing you notice is his media team expands. There's a huge investment to his personal brand. And at the time, nobody was doing this. So he had a huge edge on that as well. And he was just full cylinder all out. But here is the most interesting thing about his brand is he never sold anything for like the first few years except his books. That was mostly what he was selling. The other two things I remember him selling is his wine thing. Empathy Wines was just like 2017, 18. Wasn't like 2011 type stuff. And then his shoe brand that started in like 2014, 15-ish. Don't quote me on the years. But the first four or five years of Gary Vaynerchuk was literally just give, 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 give. So he invests millions of dollars to a personal brand, literally. He doesn't ask for anything in his audience. Though secretly, he does make a lot of money, right? Because uh, a lot of these Fortune 500 companies are just giving him million-dollar deals that nobody knows about without an RFP process, basically. So he is making a lot of money, to be honest. But on a front-facing brand, he's not asking his audience for anything. Right. For individuals, clear-cut products for like a single individual, you don't see as much of that other than the books, right? Other than the books. Correct. Books, wines, shoes, but even shoes. I mean, most people made money off the shoes. They kind of bought them and then resold them for like triple the price. So, So whatever. So yeah, exactly. So what happened there is as that scaled, then we got to a point where Gary Vee just dominated. I mean, now he's got, what, 9.1 million on Instagram. He's got crazy amounts on TikTok. And he, he's really killed it. So now what's the next step of his journey? The next step of his journey, as he explained in an episode Justin Khan a few months ago, uh, Justin Khan, for those who know, is the founder of Twitch that sold to Amazon for almost a billion and change. And what he said to Justin, he said, you know, my goal was never to be Mickey Mouse. My goal was to be Walt Disney. So what he means by that is he never wanted to be the main character of the show. He wanted to be the person managing all the brands and everyone else's show. But what he realized at the time, he was so early to social that he kind of made himself the guinea pig to try all these stuff on. But his future, his next decade, is really going to be focused on lifting up other creators and making them super successful. And that's probably why he got really interested in the NFT space to see what kind of artists and things were trending, to see what's creating art. And then, you know, the other piece of that as well is live events. Now he's getting really, he's going deep into that and he's combining NFT with that piece as well. But, you know, to kind of put a bow on his story, here's the biggest thing people need to take away besides the self-awareness piece about Gary Vee is it is absurd as of today, this is my big newest insight, is it absurd how much we can trust someone on the internet without ever meeting them. Mm. That was my biggest observation on Gary Vee. I've never met Gary Vaynerchuk once. The closest I've been to Gary Vee is I've seen him speak live in person one time a few years ago. But other than that, like I've never interacted with the guy once. You feel like you know him though. But here's the dangerous thing. Actually, here's the scary thing. I feel like I trust him than most people. 
Yeah. But I, it's crazy because I don't know him. So like even today, like I've been following the guy for like pretty much like five, six years now. And I literally just dropped $500 off an unknown surprise that I don't know of. <laughs> like, I don't know what the surprise is. I know. It's crazy. So imagine the people. And I super am happy with that. Per- Even if the surprise is nothing, I might be sad about it for a day. But honestly, it's an honor to support that guy because he's done so much for me. So he's probably going to make, what, like 30 bucks off the royalty. So it like, doesn't matter. But I think the key is, is like, just the fact that I did that is like scary as it is and really shows us the power of influencer marketing and how much of our economy is going to be driven by specific individuals promoting products and services and also what their opinions are about specific products and services. 100%. And I think the uh, key point that you just highlighted is that we do trust people when we get to see them over and over and over again. And when we think about the Gary V effect, to me, one of the things that I think stands out is he's super blunt and he's super direct, right? He grew up in New Jersey, so he's got that East Coast vibe to him where you hear an East Coaster, they're going to say it how they feel it. What's on their mind is what they say, right? And part of the reason a lot of people love East Coasters is because you get that vibe. He has that vibe and it shines through in everything that he does. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I'm glad you brought this because I really want to push this even more because I think it's so important. Go ahead. I trust Gary Vaynerchuk so much. People really need to understand this, even if I've never met him. That Because I've always dreamed about one day signing with Vayner Speakers. And for those who know, Vayner Speakers is Gary's speaking bureau, where he takes the best speakers in the world and manages their speaking business. So we like Ryan Holiday, Tim Ferriss, you know, all the, all the big people are pretty much signed exclusively with Vayner Speakers, because obviously Gary V takes care of them. I trust Gary V so much. That not only would I sign in a heartbeat when I'm like, you know, when I get to that level, I wouldn't even look at the contract. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how much you trust Gary Vee because you know he doesn't do bad deals. So, why is it? Why do you trust him that much? Just because of the actions he's taken over the last 10 years and all the people who have interacted with him. There's not one person who's big in this space who talks ill about Gary Vee, like who's, who's actually credible. So, then we'll, let's dissect this because to your point, he had his books, of course, he had his YouTube channel, his Twitter. Instagram, things of that nature. He's on social media. What would most people attribute like, oh, it was this. I read crushing it or I read crush it. Or what do you think if there's one central place more than any other that people would attribute being the kick in the ass they need to do whatever it is they're doing today? Like, cause I've heard it said so many times. And for me, it was, it was crushing it. Even though I knew him before when I read crushing it, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, because I knew I wanted to do creative things. I knew I wanted to get more involved with social media, but that was the point where it was like, he made it so crystal clear that not doing it would be a big, it's like we're in the golden age, the perfect opportunity to take advantage of these things and it's ripe. And if you take it seriously, there is an incredible momentum you could build to build a brand and you know, now it's almost malpractice to not participate in social media if you're building a company and if you if you want to have more awareness. But even just five years ago, it wasn't nearly as big as it is today. And five years before that, even less so. What are either they the or what are some of the central reasons that people would attribute to having, quote, the Gary Vee effect? Here's the big piece that I don't think a lot of people catch that you actually made myself think of and catch right now in this recording. And that's why I appreciate the questions that no one really asked me. 
And the answer is Gary Vee is one of the few content creators who is very good at frequency. So number, like sheer volume, but across different prisms and angles. Let me give you an example. One Instagram post, hey Claire, one Instagram post is focused on him giving advice. F you, blah, 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 do this. But then there's another post where he's interviewing a CMO of a Fortune 500 company. And then another post of him giving some kid in an audience a job at VaynerMedia. Or, and then he goes like, yeah, I'm Oprah, bitch. Here's a job at <laughs> VaynerMedia. <laughs> and there, there's another episode of him with John Legend, and they're just like giving advice to people. And there's another episode where he's with a bunch of rappers. And another episode, and I'll stop it there, where he's having a conversation with Charlie D'Amelio and her brand. And it's like deep. So what does this tell us? It tells us he's very good at showing us because of the capital he has and the resources he has, his life across different prisms. But when you do that, Billy, Mm. you're going to attract a bigger audience because all of us are going to be attracted to that same person, but for completely different reasons. Here's a big weakness with my content strategy on YouTube especially, is you don't really get to see me like this because I don't want to change the quality of what I do on YouTube because I can't really afford it to do something like this that's still at the level of the production I do on YouTube. That's why I don't do it and we do it on lives, but I can't afford that. So so I'm like Gary V just does it across all socials. So the reason why you like Gary V is completely different because you was crushing it, right? For me, it was like a motivational video and an interview he did with Scott Harrison that got me in. Whereas Mm. for Claire, it's different than it is for Donna, than it is for everyone else. And that's the magic to Gary Vee. Because a seven-year-old who's watching Gary Vee, they're not entering the same where we're entering the final. They're listening to him on TikTok and going up to him on the stream being like, you're famous on TikTok, but they don't watch him on YouTube. And that's the secret of Gary Vee is tell the same story across completely different angles and do it so many times that it hurts. And you're, yeah, to your point, you're appealing to a much broader cross-section of people. Therefore, it widens the net and it does diversify the reasons why so many people, because to your point, I have heard a lot of people say it was this one video or it was like this one thing. Okay, but then look, there's lots of people that are making videos. There's lots of people that say motivational things. What is it about him? What is... Is he saying it in a certain way? Is it the emotion? Is it the directness that I talked about earlier? Mm. Is it the actual substance? Like, what is it that makes him rattle people's cages so much that he makes them take action, that he makes them literally change their life? Like, again, I mean, even Tony Robbins, to be honest, doesn't hold a candle to him, at least now. I mean, maybe, maybe 10 years ago. No offense, Tony Robbins. I love Tony Robbins, but like, I'm talking about when people say my life has changed because of this person, he is the one, but what is it about agreed? There's different mediums, different things, different approach people differently or resonate with people differently, but he's the constant. So what is it about him that is so powerful? And one last thing that we'll get into Gary V's personality that I've studied for years and it's not very easy to break, but let's kind of figure this out together. The last piece of it is just the sheer number of interactions he's had. You know, we always talk about this idea of if you want a thousand followers, have a thousand conversations. This dude has done this on steroids. Like literally on a flight. He has a flight that he has to get to in like an hour. 
But what he's going to do instead of running for that plane, he's going to stay the extra nine minutes, sign a few books, and then run for the airport. That's nuts. When he's on a phone with the Fortune Finder, I see this all the time in his old vlogs. He's on a phone at the CEO and he go, and some kid comes up to him and goes, can I take a photo with you? And he literally goes to the CEO, hey, dude, wait a second. And he takes a photo and then goes back to the phone call. It's like, it's nuts. The sheer volume of interaction peer-to-peer, person-to-person, nobody outclasses Gary Vee. You can't even compete. Like most influencers don't even bother. They go, I can't do this. Gary Vee's nuts. I can't com- mm. reply to all that stuff. So there's definitely that piece as well. Volume plays a role. And Volume by the way, definitely. I want to go to, in a minute, we're going to go to Claire's question, which I love, which do you see a certain five or six prisms he focuses on? So let's finish up your thought here and then we'll go to Claire's question. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to this idea with Gary, the sheer volume of conversations he's had with people is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, he has, like, people need to understand, he has a wife, he has kids, and he's still flying out to Budapest for a keynote. He's still (laughs) flying out to Brazil for a keynote. Like, people see that front end, but they don't understand the, the balance, the difficulty of doing that. He's literally, like, on a plane all the time, especially pre covid and that's not easy, but he does that to have as much in-person time as possible at the audience, mm-hmm. to have as much exposure. So in-person time and then the volume of in-person time and he's recording it all. Yeah. And I'm still going to challenge this to even more. He could say the wrong thing, but he doesn't. Like, is it just, again, is it the way he says it that like, it's so like it motivates you or is it what he's saying or is it a combination of both or something else? Look, I'm happy to break it down, but here's what I want people to understand at principle level. When you have the sheer number of conversations that you do, you're eventually going to win regardless. That's why I always say, I always tell you, you know, when you ask me for tips on YouTube, I go simple, dude. Make one video a week, stay consistent, don't miss for 10 years. You'll probably have 100,000 subscribers unless you're really bad at content creation, which I don't think you are. And why do I say that? Because if you just play long enough, you just outlast everyone. That's the biggest thing in content creation is if you just outlast your competition, you'll just win. People don't get that either. Is That's a big piece. And Gary Vee has outlasted everybody. He started in 2004. He's still here 17 years later creating content. Seth Godin created a blog, outlasted everybody. I don't think there's a longer blog that has had the running. He's, he literally started blogs and blog existed from day one, and he's been here since then. So kind of hard to beat him until he's dead, which hopefully, knock on word or wall, won't be for a very, very long time. But going back to Gary Vee's personality, though, there's definitely some things that stick out. One, simplicity scales, right? His language is very simple. He doesn't complicate shit. keeps it really simple. He's always saying the same shit over and over and over again, which is number two right? Always say, repeat the same ideas over and over and over again. You don't need to innovate Mm -hmm. too much to be an innovator, to be a thought leader. You need to innovate somewhat. And his thoughts do change on some topics from time to time. But for the most part, 80 to 90% of what he's saying is the same, which brings us to number three, refine those same key ideas with the audiences you speak to. You're not going to appeal to everyone. And Gary's a good example of this. You either really, really hate him or you really, really like him. He doesn't really have an in-between with Gary. So what he does is he focuses a lot on the people he loves, but he also talks shit about the people he hates, which is kind of funny about Gary Vee. 
But I don't think that's necessarily a keystone to his success. I think the third piece is he's really good at refining his ideas. Yeah. I'll give you an example of this so it's tangible for people. When he started keynoting in 2008 and nine, most of his keynotes, people don't know this either, was focused on practical tips. Like he'd literally go, do this, post this, and this. But as he was talking to his audience, he realized that, wait a second, no one's implementing the tips. Why is that? And then he realized that it was because of the judgment that people had of others. What did my mom think? What did my dad think? So he pivoted his entire content strategy to just focus on shit like, well, you're not creating content because you think your mom is going to say something about that. So he started really speaking to the pain that the vast majority of people have when creating content. And even for someone as seasoned as me now in content creation, that was actually the main reason why I didn't want to start creating content either. And it's tough for me to say that, but it's true. I did have some insecurity. So he speaks to that majority that we all once were or currently. And because he's always speaking to the majority of the pain points that people have, he resonates with the majority. But because he speaks like the average Joe too, he doesn't use sophistication. He's literally going, you got to do this. Boo, boo, boo. He's talking like average people. He just yells a lot more. He resonates with a lot more people. He's a lot more real. So he won the game. Well, he's a lot more real. He does yell a lot. I, I don't think we could discount that. And yell, I mean, it's forceful in in tone is what it is. It's forceful. It's that's one way to put it. It's persuasive. It's spoken with conviction. To your point, simplicity scales. I think that's a really, really important. He keeps things simple. He says the same things over and over again. And to your point, he refines what he says based on the audience's reaction. He's got high enough EQ to be able to read the audience, to be able to read the individuals and know when it's working and when it's not working. And therefore he could change. And that goes back to your original point, which is because of the volume and because of how much he's talking, how regularly the frequency behind which he shows up is so vast. He's so prolific as a motivator that you do inevitably get better and better the more you do it. So I think all brilliant points. We'll, we'll hold this one for another time, but I found it interesting that you talked about your own fear of creating and how he changed and talked about other people's fear. Yet you as a public speaking coach, you did not take that approach because you know for a fact that a lot of people who are in your business, they focus on the fear component and you talk, you took a different approach. But I don't want to go down that path right now. We could save that, earmark that for another time. I do want to go to Claire's question, which is, do you see a certain five or six prisms he focuses on? Absolutely. So let's break down some of those prisms. Number one, he's always celebrating the good shit he does in public. He doesn't do that mostly, and I don't think it's ill intent. I just really want to make sure that's clear. He's just really smart about it. So for example, he has a post where somebody's asking him for a job at Vayner, and he goes, yeah, I'm Oprah, bitch. Here's a job. And everyone goes crazy at the conference. <laughs> So, so it's pretty good content, man. I like it. It's just when he's doing favors for people. Like he publicizes a lot of it. Like one of them goes in the conference call. Hey, man, can you like, like I need us, like I'm struggling with content creation. And he was like, fuck this, start right now. And he jumps off stage and then just like goes to the person. And then I'm like, start the camera right now. And he starts, and he's, and then he just kisses the dude on, like, Kerry V literally kisses the dude on the cheek. I still remember this, some Indian guy. And he's like, I fucking love you, Gary V. Like, I fucking love you too. And then he kisses. <laughs> it's nuts. Oh my God. He's just a relatable guy. Like, he's a people's person. He's he really a people's is. people, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the superhero that you can talk to. You feel like you know, all right? Like, he doesn't feel out of reach. He feels normal enough. Yes. He doesn't feel like, you know, you do relate to him. You feel like he's on, you know, granted, now it's he's less relatable because of his stature and because of what he's done. But at the same time, he's still... You know, in a way, he's like average Joe, right? And I think is an endearing and important part of his personality. And that's the most messed up part about Gary V. Billy is d- he's more and more successful, yet he still remains the same amount of relatability. People need to understand this again. The second pillar, and I'll explain this so people really get it, is tea with Gary V. So during COVID, he had a daily show for an hour, an hour where he literally just answers people's questions. He brings them on a Zoom call like this or something, and he just goes tell, and he talks to them for like five minutes each. And people are like, wow, this is great. But people aren't thinking about, hey, wait a second, this guy's worth $250 million. Is there any other human being who's literally doing this an hour a day who's worth $250 million? The answer is nobody. Just Gary V. Only he's crazy enough to do that. So that's the other piece of the prism, Claire, in my opinion is where he literally just answers questions and provides value straight away. Like, okay, you have a question, I have an answer. You have a question, you have an answer. That's the second format. The other piece, the third piece, is the interview style format, where he just interviews somebody, interrupts them like 90% of the time. And he's always interrupting. And and what this does is, is it creates brand by association. So every time you're related to someone, you have someone on the show, like on your podcast that you're interviewing, your brand automatically gets associated to that other person. So for example, when Tony Robbins came to his studio to do an interview, he doesn't say, yeah, I'm best friends with Tony Robbins. No, he doesn't say directly, but indirectly the vibe is, yeah, I'm chummy chummy with Tony Robbins. He does the same thing with Kevin Hart a lot. Kevin Hart loves Gary Vee. Dwayne Johnson too loves Gary Vee. So they do a lot of like, hey, what's up celebrity post? So he's not saying, yeah, it's my buddy Gary V, like a Dwayne Johnson. No, no, no. But indirectly, it implies that, wow, this Gary V guy sure knows a lot of famous people. That's the mm-hmm. other piece is celebrity collaborations, especially in interview style. That's number three. The fourth prism is him just like giving you no BS, full out the aggressive, hey, get your shit together, motivational Monday Today's not Thursday. Today's Monday. Make every Monday your bitch and get to the one. Right? It's very like motivational style content. And then I would say the last pillar is where he's really focused on culture. This is the pillar I spend the most time dissecting. Though I do like a little motivation from Gary Vee from time to time, not going to lie. But I would say the biggest pillar I spend the most time researching and spending time and looking at and consuming is the culture piece. Whenever he's making predictions. Oh, and it's actually scary how many videos he has of this, where it's literally a post of him in 2014 saying something, and him back in 2021, it's like, I told you, I told you I was right, and here's why I'm right. And he starts, and you're just like, like, oh, <laughs> you're just there like, what's happening? So a lot of these posts are like that too. So that, that would be the fifth pillar. So kind of let's summarize. Number one interview style content he's always brand associating with other celebrities and that makes him look like a celebrity even if he is technically he is too but it it just helps him that's one number two is celebrating good deeds that he's doing okay giving people jobs giving people time with him giving like that stuff recording that piece the third piece is motivational aggression right he goes in and motivates you blah 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 you got to do this blah what the hell you get off your couch blah okay fourth thing is the trends, the culture piece, guessing stuff, predicting stuff, and always being right about it. And then the fifth piece, 
I totally forgot. So let's move on. <laughs> I was like, wait, he, there's one that he missed in there. And I was trying to think of what it, which one it was too. Yeah, so I have to think. So about. as we think about the Gary V effect, we can't not think about that. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be the naysayers. And you already said there's a lot of people who don't like him, but I think it's highly skewed towards the people that do like him. For those who are not in the camp of being Gary V fans, is it jealousy? Is it, what's the reason that he doesn't connect with some people in your opinion? I think it was culture probably for the fifth one. In terms of, I mean, we could spend uh, 70 reasons for this one. I mean, for the main reason anyone hates anybody to begin with is because they're not happy with their own life. Let's just start there. <laughs> I'm just being honest. If you don't like your own life, your, your tendency is going to hate other people. And this is important for people to know. Think about this. Lewis Howes said this once, and it really resonated with me. And the question he asked is, would Michael Jordan ever leave a negative Amazon review for a book? (laughs) And it was like, it was just so obvious, but not really when you think about it. Like, would Lewis Howes sit down and write a negative Amazon review? And the answer is no, right? He would either be supporting people or cheering or giving constructive feedback in private but that's the thing. People who are actually in the ring, people who are actually doing something with their life, who love what they do, whether it's you like painting, you like spending time with your kids three days a week, you're, like, you're just a happy person. You're not going to spend time spewing hate to other people. So people who do that are generally individuals who are just not very successful, not ambitious, but frankly, just insecure mm. about the fact that they're not leading life by their own terms. You'll never see me hating on one of your posts. Unless it's in private, I'll never do that publicly. I'll just always celebrate you because you're awesome. And that's the key, right? So I think there's many reasons why people hate Gary Vee, but the, some of the more, I guess, practical ones beyond just that, which I think is 90% of it, the other 10% is just the way that he speaks, mm-hmm. right? It's just off-putting. It's style, right, at the end of the day. Like some people don't like, like I'm a very aggressive person, but I also know how to dial myself down when I need to. He doesn't have that dial. It just doesn't exist. Like it doesn't work. Like Gary Vee doesn't have a dial. It's broken. It's broken. It it never existed. He never ordered it. It came out of the factory broken. Yeah. I don't even think he ordered it, to be honest. I think he just said, you know what? (laughs) He disabled it at some point. Yeah. He just broke it. I don't know. But yeah, exactly. So because he doesn't have that, a lot of people wouldn't relate to his style, but they might relate to someone motivation who's a bit more introverted, like a Seth Godin or a Brene Brown. And that's totally fine too. But I think those are the main reason. It's definitely the aggression piece. And then the third piece, of course, that we all know. He swears a lot. Mm-hmm. He swears a lot in his content. And that's also a decision he made. And he says this publicly, by the way. If he never swore at all in his content, he'd probably have 60 million followers. But he wants to stay true. And by the way, that's an interesting thought experiment. Because I made the intentional decision not to swear at all in my YouTube videos. Even if I'm someone who loves swearing. I swear like a sailor, as you know. But the reason I don't do it in my YouTube videos is because I'm mindful that parents of kids who are from religious backgrounds will just like won't share my videos with their kids if I'm swearing in them. So I make the intentional decision not to. And I noticed you haven't really, I don't think there's been an episode where you had much profanity here in this until the Gary V episode, which you were throwing a few F-bombs, yeah. you know, here. So it carries through the Gary V effect, not only influences you taking action, but also in this case, you actually swearing. <laughs> yeah, okay. True. So as we wrap up here, finish up on our conversation on the Gary Vee effect, what haven't we talked about yet that would be important that's not maybe something that we dived into too deeply? I would say for me, Billy, the biggest thing that I I have said the biggest thing like seven times now, but I'll say the biggest takeaway from Gary Vee's personal brand is the power of playing for 10 years. 
that's what stands out to me as something to remember. Because Gary Vee has given so much back to society that people in his fan base genuinely feel bad for not like taking anything or like giving anything to Gary Vee. I'll give you an example. The main reason I bought Crushing It, Billy, wasn't actually to read the book. I haven't even, I think I opened like a chapter and I didn't finish it. The reason I bought it, I genuinely felt bad. Because at that point, I had a corporate job. Like, I was making good money when Crushing It came out. And I was like, crap. Like, Gary Vee's like pretty much one of the only reasons I made it this far in my life. And I haven't even given him a dollar. So I'm just going to buy this book and he's going to get $3 from him. I'm going to feel good about myself. That's the reason why I bought the book. I mean, I, I feel a little bit less bad. I mean, good that I bought 12 books. But it's okay. It's for Gary Vee. It helps him. That's all you do is buy books from Gary Vee to support that's it, right? Because the next thing above that is like spending 10 grand on his like his group coaching thing, which I'm not ready for. But the point I want to drive is the power of 10-year brands. When you really make the decision to invest in your personal brand and that rate sustainably in the same way Gary Vee has, it's impossible, unless you're really bad, to not build a multi-six-figure business off that brand. It just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so perfect segue to the last question, which you already touched on a little bit, but I want to go a bit deeper is what does the next, not even 10 years, but maybe even 20 years look like for Gary Vee? Because he's about my age. I think we're about the same age. I'm 44. I think, I think he's right around that same age. He's 45. Uh, gi- yeah. Give or take. Yeah, right. So we're the same age. He's been doing what he's been doing since the you know, early part of the 2000s. So very easily could be doing it double what he's been doing it, maybe even triple what he's been doing it, depending upon how much he wants to stay active and how much of his activity will be him in the limelight versus him supporting others who are in the limelight. Cause you're saying that he is going to be supporting others. Obviously Vayner speakers is an example of supporting people who are on the public speaking circuit, but I think it's much bigger than that. So what gives you the indication that that will be the case a, and then B what else don't we know? If we're going to look at the roadmap for Gary V and I might ask a follow-up question, which could involve, you giving advice to Gary Vee. So stay tuned for that. All right, so let's go ahead. It's tough to give advice to the God of social media, but yeah, we'll definitely try. So let's start with the first part of your question, which is what is the indication here? Let me explain this differently. Let's think back to his bigger goal. What's his end state? His end state is Jets, right? So let's break that down. How much is the Jets currently valued at? Multiple billions of dollars. The Johnson families, the company. Johnson families, the people who own Johnson Johnson people. Right, that big company, they're the ones who own the Jets. That family. Are they really worth a couple billion? I'm going to cry. By the way, we're going to start a fact check on these shows. Oh, yeah. So Jets. Every Saturday, in fact, I've hired a team of people <laughs> to do QA on this. And so we're going to do fact check Saturday. So all of our episodes throughout the week will be fact checked I love on that. Saturday. And so you want wow. to attend that one. Wow. I'm totally kidding, but we might actually do that. Just <laughs> oh, for fun. I can't. I actually totally <laughs> believed you. Okay, so valuation of New York Jets. But go ahead. Let's. I'm going to take your word for it. A couple, uh, couple I, billion. Yeah, it's three point fifty-five. I just looked it up. Three point fifty. I got four point. Dang, sports teams are expensive, man. He. Oh yeah. He should have bought it. Like, I mean, he's going to have to be a partner. That's that's ridiculous. Four point. Okay, so go ahead. So in-state is him hey, buying the Jets. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I think you just threw out an anteism to Gary Vee. You're don't ever estimate Gary Vee. He's like Elon Musk, right? Don't bet against Elon Musk. Don't bet against Gary V. The best thing Peter Thiel ever said in an interview, I'd never bet against Elon Musk. <laughs> you never. That's the, the number one thing he learned from Elon. When people ask him in an interview, never bet against him. <laughs> Whatever he does, I just put money in and I don't, I didn't, he doesn't say that part. But anyways, back to Gary V. So that's the end state, right, Billy? 3.55 billion. 
And I've studied a lot of interviews to see how, because a lot of people have asked, not actually a lot, some people, how do you plan on getting the 3.55 billion? Like enough money? What's your strategy? Here's what his strategy is essentially in a nutshell. He has this conglomerate brand that's currently has a company valuation of a couple hundred million, let's say. So around 20% of the purchase price that's necessary, maybe 30%, maybe, maybe. So obviously, if he just speaks for a living at 100 grand a pop, it's, he's not going to get there. He just isn't, right? Because you'll, you'll make, what, 35 million a year, which is still crazy amounts of money. And then after 20 years of doing that, he'll make 700 million, he won't even come close to the Jets. So the only actual way to do this, from his perspective, is two key ways. One is you either invest in big companies. This was the biggest mistake he made in his career, by the way, where he missed on Uber's angel round. So he knew Travis Kalanick. He was like buddies with the guy, like buddies. And he didn't invest in the angel round. If he had just invested in the angel round, he got in in the Series A, so it doesn't matter. So he still made a lot of money. But if he got in in the angel round, he would have already have enough money to buy the Jets. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. So he's got L's too. That's his biggest one today. But anyways... So given that, what he said in some interviews that I've diagnosed is this strategy is waiting for the next recession. And during the next recession, he's going to buy up brands like fashion brands, shoe brands that are super undervalued. Think of like Vans. Like Vans was not very hot back then. Now it's super hot now. So because he knows culture, the underpriced brand, then he's going to become the CEO of those companies, lift them up and then resell them. That's basically what he wants to do. But because he's going to be, I mean, that's like a full-time job on its own, right? So because of that, he doesn't have time to be a personal brand. That's not what's going to make him a multi-billionaire at the end of the day. So because of that, he's going to be spending a lot more time in that CEO role when he buys up those brands. That that moment in time hasn't happened yet, by the way, Billy. Because even if the recession happened with COVID, the economy quickly built back up. So he didn't have that chance to buy all those big brands. Just real quick. Yep. How do you know... And I know the Jets is, I believe me, I've known about the Jets thing for a really long time. It's, sure. it's well-documented. But there's a part of me that says it's got to be fulfilling knowing how many people you're impacting because you have a personal brand and part of that personal brand is influencing, dare I say the word influence, influencing other people, impacting other people by what you say. And so... Yeah, there are a lot of business people, not a lot, but there, you know, there's billionaires that are created that are under the radar billionaires because they start businesses, they own businesses, they buy businesses and resell them. And what I'm hearing you say, which I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just asking, like, do you think he would walk away from the impact and the influence that he has to buy companies at a low price, build them back up and sell them? Or do you think he's going to do, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time? Here's what I think. I think he, exactly. I like your analogy, chew gum and walk at the same time. That's fascinating. Or yeah, he could eat his cake, you know. <laughs> it's interesting. I never heard that expression before. Maybe I have, but a long time ago. American stuff, I guess. But anyways, what I believe is he is not going to walk away, but he's going to distribute it. So here's what I think he's doing. Basically, through V Friends, his new initiative and VCon, he's going to pump up a bunch of other people in his community and they're going to be like Gary Vee ambassadors for him. Kind of like Walt Disney, where all the Mickey Mouse characters play up to Walt. He's the same thing. He's the mastermind behind it. Correct. And then he'll spend less time on his own personal brand. Still spend time on it. But I don't think, personally, I don't think he's going to go to Budapest anymore. I don't think he's going to go to, you know, parts of the it's world. It's so time consuming. I mean, that crazy. to be on the speaker circuit, I'm sure it's invigorating and 
you're meeting tons of people and it's, you know, you're creating content the entire time. And I'm sure there's a lot, but you do, I'm sure also you could burn out. Right. And so, and nothing lasts forever. So the cadence in which he's done, it will likely change. But what you're saying is he's going to reallocate his travel speaking time to be more of the, uh, and what are you laughing at? To be more of the, <laughs> be the wizard, the wizard of Oz, right. Or the Walt Disney who's pulling all the strings. No, I think it's just super cute that you use the word burnout in a conversation on Gary Vee as if Gary Vee understands what burnout is. It's like the funniest thing. <laughs> it's like, what, what's he's like, what's a burnout? Is that like a toast getting burnt or something? Like, no, that guy's going to work 17 hours a day, every day until he's dead. That's his. <laughs> and he's going to do it with a smile on his face because that's what he loves to do, right? But anyways, going back to your point, you're absolutely right, especially on the timepiece. I think what he's going to do strategically is he's going to focus a lot of his keynotes on the U.S. market because that's what that's where the audience is. That's what the market is. That's where the impact is. That's where everyone's watching. And it's all the hot places are like five hours away. Like it's not complicated. You just make those flights. And then what he's going to do is he's going to use that extra time and build up those undervalued brands. Because at the end of the day, going back to what you said about the billionaire piece, you're right. A lot of these billionaires are undercover because not because they, they want to be undercover, if I'm being honest. Some of them are. But for the most part, it's because they're just busy working 110 right. hours a week. They don't want to build the personal brand. And their business is doing really well, clearly, right? But for Gary, he wants both. But what he's realizing in his career is he got one of them. He got the legacy. And he's probably going to walk away. But that legacy ain't worth shit because he wants to be – to him, to him. To me, it's worth a lot. But to him personally, that ain't worth shit because he wants to die the best business owner of all time. So he doesn't just want to die like best influencer. He also wants to die as the Warren Buffett of business. So he's not focusing enough on the business building, even if he's got a multi nine figure company, but even to him, he's not doing that because he's got other people in his circles that are doing 10, 11 figures who are kicking his ass, right? In business building. So for me, he's going to focus a lot less time on the personal brand as the brand kind of expands and as his influence gets distributed across other speakers and other influencers. That's why he's betting a lot on hip hop and like emerging artists like Charlie D'Amelio and stuff. And then he's going to use that extra time to really build the shit that's going to make him billions of dollars, which is buying up like vans and stuff. But here's the crazy shit though that people don't know that Gary Vee doesn't even talk about is what he did today right here, had nothing to do with the surprise, Billy. Had nothing to do with the 12 books. Had nothing to do with making money. That shit doesn't matter to him. He's worth 200 million. What he was doing, and I was, I was proud to be a participant, maybe victim, who knows? We'll see. I don't think victim. But a bigger part of an experiment, which says, who will do what I say even if I don't tell them what I'll do? Mm. Who will do what I say even if I don't tell them what they get? Mm -hmm. That's what he was testing. And the scary part of his test is it worked. Barnes & Noble US, the website crashed when his live started. It's like <laughs> crashed. Amazon India, the Indians are going crazy in the live chat. They're saying, dude, it's sold out. He's like, how are pre-orders sold out? It's like sold out. His publisher, Harper & Collars, are freaking out on the phone. He's literally on the phone with them during the live. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's broken. So what does this tell us about the future? This tells me, and this is exclusive to this show. Because I don't think anyone has voiced out this opinion. After he buys those underpriced brands and he starts promoting them on his socials, holy fuck. That brand alone is going to sell hundreds of millions of dollars of product 
when he's pushing those products, when he uses his 15 years of equity on those products, and that's how he's going to get to the Jets. That's how I think. So number one. It's the jab. It's the jab. Yeah, it's the jab. It's the ultimate jab. Yeah. That's going to mint him billions of dollars. Okay, so let me play this out here a little bit because what he probably realizes is VaynerMedia, there's a threshold or a limit to the size and scope in which he could build that because he's exchanging really fundamentally services, whether it be consulting services or media services or things that people are buying. And then, yeah, they're getting a service. So that's great. And it's a successful business. And he's got other brands as well. But what I'm hearing you say is he's going to take some existing brands that have some name recognition that maybe have had a bit of a rough spell. He's going to revitalize them and then use his own personal brand to pump them up and build them to be higher. The question I have for you is why, and I don't think that's a bad idea, but do you think he has any interest in the big idea? And what I mean by that is another Uber, another unicorn in the making, because probably a lot of these companies that are down and out, it's they are risky, right? And not to say that a unicorn is not risky, but the big payday, you know, the payday for a Twitter, a Facebook, a Uber, you name it, they're, you know, the Airbnbs, those obviously they're very hard to find. And, but if you find them, you're done. You, you can then buy the jets, but then you also, if you do, you know, the approach that you're saying, you do run the risk of buying in on a company that maybe, you know, it's, they don't say, they say, don't, don't try and catch a falling knife or a drop, you know, a knife that's dropping, right? You don't try and catch that in, in the stock world as a stock's going down, you don't try and grab it. So what's more risky going after the unicorns? And throwing money early into companies that may or may not make it or finding company that has had some level of success and then bringing that back to life? Or could he do both? Correct. Exactly. So no decision is binary, as you say famously well. And you're definitely onto something, right? So, But let's just quickly address, I don't think he'll ever build a multi-billion dollar company at that level because he just doesn't have the skill set to build a technology startup. He's self-aware, right? He understands what he's good at and what he's not good at. But in the context of, of this, the, the other piece and how he's going to get to his multiple billions is definitely investing in those tech companies. He's not really big on investing right now, though he has done it quite recently with a company called Resi that sold for a nine-figure check to a company. And that was something he incubated in-house in a venture fund called RSC Ventures that he has a collaboration with Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross is a real estate multi-billionaire and Matt Higgins, who is one of the people behind RSC Ventures as well. But the key is he's in the investment game for sure. But what's interesting about his personal brand is he also have access to all the best companies up front because of his personal brand. Brian mm-hmm. Chesky reached out to him first when he started Airbnb. Gary was just dumb. He didn't invest in the company. <laughs> so he's had a few, he's had a few misses. A few, he's a he's few. had a lot of misses. Definitely yeah. a lot of misses. I mean, Mark Cuban missed out on Twitch. Chris Saka missed out on, on Airbnb. Like so many misses. Every person who's got wins has misses in, in investing. And that's the key, right? But the important piece is Gary Vee is definitely going to catch some whales. And he's already caught a couple of whales. I mean, he was early in Coinbase. That wrote him a big check. Coinbase just went public a few weeks ago, a few months ago, sorry. So yeah, not to say he's doing so bad. But I think where his Jets money is going to come from is definitely buying up underpriced brands that he really believes in and pumping them up with this personal brand amongst other strategies and selling them for 10-figure uh, contracts. I got it. I got it. I know what will get Gary Vee on the path 
to be able to buy the New York Jets. Do you know want to know what it is? It's listening to Brendan Kumarasamy on Insight Live give him advice at hour one, one hour and 20 minutes. I said, Brendan, this will be a short one. Don't worry. This will be a, not that you want it to be short. I think I'm the one that wants to be short. But the point being is, yeah, we're an hour and 20 minutes into this. Let's spend the next five, 10 minutes. We'll round out and maybe it's only three minutes. Gary V comes to you, says, Brendan, I really like your style. You might only be 25. You might not have as much life experience as some, but I really like the way you think. What advice do you have for me? Please give me a job. I'll do anything to work. I'm just kidding. All right. (laughs) I would never work for Gary Vee, but anyways. Okay, here's my first piece of advice. I would say the first thing is I would be a lot more public about my philanthropy. He's open about it. I would be even more open about it. Talk a lot more about Scott Harrison, Charity Water, bring that more into his brand. I think that'll help him out. It'll give him a lot of goodwill, even if he already has a lot of goodwill. I feel he needs to bring in more people in his socials that talk good about him, that are famous, where he's not talking and just listening. Where Tony is literally going, Gary V, you're the best thing since sliced bread. And get, and Gary's like, no, no, no. I think he needs more of that because that will make him more accessible to people and that will help him alleviate his status even more. I think that's one opportunity for improvement. Okay. The other opportunity for improvement, mm, this is tough, is... To have a way more stricter process around how he spends his time to alleviate his personal brand. He says yes way too much. Mm-hmm. Way too much. And I know that's great for people who are, who are building up their, who get to have Gary Vee on a show. I think that's a fucking waste of his time. Well, he strikes me, and I think anybody that's watched him is he's, he's sort of all over the place. He's, and, and I would guess he's ADD and to some degree, but, but maybe that's just his style where he's just very frenetic and, and just kind of like frenetic energy. But I guess is he focused enough or should he be more focused than he is? Cause he knows himself. I mean, maybe that's part of his secret sauce does because you've talked about this before. And, and we talked about a key theme for the, the Uber rich is focus. Does he lack focus? No, I don't think he lacks focus in, in his business and what he wants to do, but he needs someone. He needs to hire someone, a right-hand person. Yeah. Like a really good executive who puts a leash on his time okay, so that he can achieve the bigger thing that he's focused on. So for example, let's say he's, he's still focused on those 14 things. You can't do shit about it. He's, just, he's still going to do those 14 things. Like going to the garage sales? Yeah, exactly. But that, for, that executive <laughs> that he really trusts is really going to make sure that he's not doing some dumb interview for 30 minutes just to please somebody who has seven downloads. Like that should never be allowed in Gary V land because it's literally doing a disservice to the, his bigger mission where he could spend that 30 minutes signing a deal that's worth half a billion, then donate half of it to charity. You know what I mean? So, so that's the key. I, I really feel he's not protective enough of his time, even if okay. it's good for me. Cause I'll probably get to meet him a lot earlier than expected because of that loophole in his game. But I think it's a disservice to the humanity by doing that. And then the third piece is I would make VFriends as a conference a bit more accessible versus just NFTs. I think it's cute that he's doing the NFT thing for VFriends because basically how VCon works Mm. is if you want to go to this conference, you need to spend money on NFTs. Like you need the token. I'm just like, dude, this is too complicated. Like get make it more accessible to people. You want VCon to have like 100,000 people. That's how I would think about it. Maybe I'm just wrong about that. But given how big Gary Vee's playing, I think that's what he should be shooting for. And just having a cash option, like people should just be able to swipe their card and go to VCon. 
but yeah, that's those are the three things that come to mind. But yeah, very hard to give a, a God feedback. Okay, so I know it's hard. I'm going to buy you some time because you know I'm going to push you to give me two more things. So again, I want you to rack your brain here. It's Gary V right now. And I know here I am. I get the easy job asking questions. It's not hard to do that. It's a lot harder for you because you're not pre-thinking of the advice because I'm not telling you what question I'm going to ask. But you should know by now that I'm always going to ask you what advice would you give this person? And so as I buy you more time, the thing to think about is you've, you've mentioned a few really important things. One is where he's spending his time. Super important. The other part is his community. And clearly these large scale events that he's doing, making them more accessible. Then you also talked about in the very beginning, the first thing you said is the people that he's bringing in. I think maybe you could provide a bit more clarity on that part, or maybe I just was daydreaming when you said it. So I maybe missed it. But as I think about Gary V. To me, the thing that stands out is he is so well connected and it's clear to me that because of the connections, he would have the ability and part of the reason he's able to spot trends and probably part of the reason he's able to find opportunities is because of how well connected he is. Where does that play into your advice and the future of what he's doing or what else stands out that you think would be if you had one or two other items, I'll make it easy on you. If you only have one, two would be better. And then we'll wrap up. Yeah, I think a fourth thing that comes to mind is he needs to collaborate more with other content creators who are actually really famous. Like I've never seen him do like a a Charlie D'Amelio dance party with Charlie. And he knows Charlie really well too. He only has 3 million subscribers on YouTube, which is shocking, right? It's pretty shocking. It's very shocking. And okay, fine. You're pushing me in the right direction. The fifth thing that I think is the most important feedback is he sucks on YouTube. He is so not thoughtful about how he con- he creates content on YouTube to the point that it's like painful. I think he should spend it's a lot. It's just shocking to me. It's shocking. But to your point, I think if he did more collaborations, appealed to a broader audience, then so you think the the fifth thing is is to do more on YouTube? But then I'm I'm thinking like is that more of a distraction? If I was the one in charge of putting the leash on him and say, you know, go this direction. Don't get me wrong, YouTube's super important. I'm not saying it isn't, but it's important for the personal brand, it's important for a variety of other things, but it's important for the big picture prize of owning the Jets. Correct. So I'm not saying he needs to do like crazy YouTube. I'm just saying he just lacks focus on the most important platform on social media. Because at the end of the day, I don't care if you have 10 million on Instagram. In five years, Instagram is irrelevant. And we already know that because of Facebook. Like Facebook has already pulled the organic reach off pages And because Facebook owns Instagram, it's obvious. It's just a matter of time before they pull off Instagram's organic growth. The only reason they're not doing it is just because of TikTok. Once TikTok Mm. is squashed, they're just going to pull their organic reach, maximize their ad spend, and force advertisers to spend more money to be on the platform. Right? So same thing. Right? It's obvious. But that's the game, right? Whereas YouTube, at the end of the day, and Mr. Beast is probably the best example of that, because that's what's fascinating about the guy, Mr. Beast. And he does this way better than Gary Vee. Like, it's not even compared. He's Beast is in another sport. He's in a whole other league. Is He's investing every penny. He's actually broke currently. He, like, literally takes all of his millions, pours them back into the next video. It's nuts. He's crazy. He wants to be the next Disney, essentially. That's what he's thinking about. But he understands the value of creating high-quality shit on YouTube. Because here's the thing Gary Vee needs to understand. Is if you're only posting once a week on YouTube, everyone is tuning in to Gary Vee. Whereas now, because he's posting once a day, twice a week, for, not even twice a week. That's actually, that's not even true. 
five times a week is probably more realistic. Most people go on the feed and they go, well, there's five. I could just go watch a Gary Vee video sometime else. There's not that same intrigue. It's kind of like you're dating. Scarcity. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're dating someone and they just tell you everything and they're super open and they're always calling you. And always you're with texting. them every day. They're just yeah. texting you, honey, how are you doing? You're like, dude, we've only been dating for like two months. Like, chill out. Like, what? You know what I mean? So it's like the same thing. Like, Gary Vee is just too in your face on YouTube when that's, that's just not the culture. So I think that's a big missing piece where he can just tone down, like really just shut up on YouTube. And just post a lot less a week. Do like the overrated or underrated thing once a week. That's super fascinating. I love that bit. It's super unique. And one like eight minute thing where he's like really sharing just the nuggets. And then another one where he's just interviewing one person. And just leave it there. People will watch all three videos every week, including me. But when you're posting five times a week and it's like shit over Zoom. It's like, dude, like it's not the smart way of approaching it in my opinion. Mm. Okay, let's leave it there. I don't want to put any more pressure on you. Well, hey, listen, this was awesome. And I am so, so grateful to you, Mr. Kumar Asami. If you haven't yet subscribed to Brendan's YouTube channel, definitely go check it out. Master Talk. Make sure you subscribe and you won't regret it. So uh, we, we hope that you enjoyed this one. Until next time, y'all make it a great one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.